Welcome to Women Read Scripture. I'm Mariana Richardson. And I'm Drew Huffaker. Today we're going to be studying 2 Nephi chapters 11 through 19. Now, it's interesting as we look at the very first chapter, Nephi talks about those things that bring his soul delight. He starts with this positive statement about the things that he delights in the Lord. The first thing that delights Nephi are the words of Isaiah. He loves the words of Isaiah. The second thing is proving unto my people the truth of the coming of Christ. Now realize they are now living the law of Moses, and yet Nephi is constantly teaching his people that they need to prepare for the coming of the Savior. Third, in the covenants of the Lord, which he hath made to our fathers. So he delights in the covenants. And he delights in teaching about covenants. And we're going to see that in our reading today. Fourth, he delights in his grace and his justice and power and mercy and the eternal plan of salvation. And finally, his soul delights in proving unto his people that save Christ should come, all men must perish. Now, all of these things are pretty they have to do with our lives too. They're not just things that Nephi delights in, but they're also things that we can delight in as well. And as I was reading that list of five things, because <laughs> he says, my soul delights in this, my soul delights in that. I was trying to think of things that my soul delights in. And so Drew, are there things that your soul delights in? Oh, there are so many things. Oh, that good. My- <laughs> oh, good. And Jesus Christ is the number one. I I can echo his words that, yes, I love our Savior, Jesus Christ, but so many blessings that come from knowing that. Knowing that our families can be together forever is something that I rejoice in. Knowing that I don't have to walk through this world alone without his help and without friends and without other people that are all on the same path that I am trying to do our best. Um, those things bring me joy, too. And you know what's interesting are the words of Isaiah. Uh, do they, they delight? <laughs> they, they should. They, they bring should. joy to you. Yes. yes. So I little by little, them. I think the words of Isaiah are starting to bring delight to me as well. Oh, yay. Yeah. The, the more we study, the more it's fun. And you know, the thing that's interesting is I know a lot of you right now are thinking, oh, no, another week of Isaiah. Oh, no. So please don't do what many do and just skip over those chapters and then start with something else. I know that it's very difficult sometimes to understand. We don't really understand the culture of the Jews. There's a lot of historical things we don't understand that it makes it more difficult. Keep reading. And some of you will read every word and really not get very much out of it, but that's okay. That's okay. Just read it. Some of you will start to get little tiny bits and pieces here and there, and that's great. But there are some key things that we are taught that will help us understand the words of Isaiah better. Can you help us understand that just a little bit more? I would love to. (laughs) There are three keys that I like to think about. And the first one is this idea of likening it unto ourselves. And Nephi talks a lot about that, especially in our reading, 2 Nephi 11.2. He specifically says that. But let's read a verse that actually is very much to do with us today. And that's one thing about Isaiah is that he also 
has this time thing that kind of goes along where he talks about his time, but then he also talks about the latter days and he puts the two kind of together. And sometimes that's confusing for people because they're like, is he talking about Babylon? Is he talking about spiritual Babylon today? And oftentimes he's talking about both. So let's go to chapter 12, verses 7 through 9. And as we read these words, think, does this describe our world today? It says, their land also is full of silver and gold. Neither is there any end of their treasures. Their land is also full of horses. Neither is there any end of their chariots. Their land is also full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands, that which their own fingers have made. And the mean man boweth not down, and the great man humbleth himself not. Therefore, forgive him not. So how did these verses kind of relate to our world today? Realize he, he does kind of talk about this as like the Philistines and the Babylonians. But is it like us too? Their, their life is not very different than ours. I mean, they're talking about gold and silver. Of course, I guess some of us have horses. <laughs> But we also have garages full of cars and stuff and idols, things that we worship because we feel like we created those. And we we kind of idolize those things. They bring us power. They bring us prestige. And they kind of become our own gods, don't they? They do. And that's kind of a sad thing. He has a pretty strong warning there that we he will not forgive them for, for those kind of Difficulty. So it's something that we should think about. The next one is this idea of symbols. And we're going to talk a lot about symbols today. But I do think, as a matter of fact, I do want to mention one symbol that we're going to talk about a little bit more later. And that is found in 2 Nephi 14. This symbol of branches and stems and roots and vineyards that we're going to be talking about for the next two weeks are very much a symbol of Christ. And whether we are with the root, whether we are part of the branch, you know, where are we in terms of the root of Christ? And in chapter 14, I'm just looking at verse two. It says, in that day shall the branch of the Lord be beautiful and glorious, the fruit of the earth, excellent, comely to them that are escaped of Israel. So this is such a beautiful symbol that we can be full of fruit (laughs) <laughs> you know that we can have this this glorious and beautiful fruit of the earth if we are centered in the branch of Christ. And so think about that. I'm not really a gardener. No, are you a gardener? Too? We are big time gardeners. Okay. Yes, we are. <laughs> so fruit trees, I have to admit, I'm I'm learning. I'm starting to learn about fruit trees. Are you good with fruit trees? We have an orchard of over a hundred fruit trees. And my, I love the verses in the scriptures that talk about grafting in. My father-in-law is wonderful. He will take a solid root stock and graft and make these brand new, beautiful trees. So I understand these concepts. Um, So that's kind of fun that it brings it to life for us. Oh, I think so too. And this idea of the branch being being fruitful oh, is yeah. just what you were talking about, how we can be even grafted in and still be very fruitful. Well, and isn't it true that by their fruits, you shall know them? Oh, yes. We can kind of tell if we're on track living the gospel by 
what are the things we're doing with mm -hmm. that knowledge? Are we living it? Are we still kind of in Babylon trying to focus more on our worldly things, our jobs, our things that we do in the communities, our stuff? So yeah, fruits and branches, all of that is very important, isn't it, to think about? So the last thing is this idea of the spirit of prophecy. Now, this one might seem a little difficult for us to attain because we might say, well, I'm not a prophet. So how can I have the spirit of prophecy? But this is found in our next week's reading. But I wanted to bring it up when we're talking about Isaiah, because this is Nephi talking about how we can figure out and understand the words of Isaiah. This is found in chapter 25, verse 4. Wherefore, hearken, O my people, which are of the house of Israel, and that's us, we're of mm -hmm. the house of Israel, and give ear unto my words. For because the words of Isaiah are not plain unto you, nevertheless, they are plain unto all those that are filled with the spirit of prophecy. Now, you might go a little bit like, ow, that, <laughs> that never going to get it. I know. <laughs> But I do think that as we pray to the Lord and ask for the Spirit's help to understand the words of Isaiah, we will have them opened up to us, that we will hearken and do the things that Isaiah has talked about, but that our ears will be open, that we'll be able to understand, our eyes will be able to see the symbols and what they have to do with our lives. So I'm hoping that all of us can feel the spirit of prophecy as we read these wonderful chapters of Isaiah. Well, and a lot of times when we hear the words of prophecy, it also comes with prophecy and revelation. Yes. And we can all have access to revelation and the spirit of the Lord bearing witness to us of the truth. So Definitely. don't think about the prophecy part. Think about the revelation <laughs> part and it'll be easier. <laughs> That's right. Personal revelation yeah. is wonderful. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things that Isaiah, a theme that he definitely has is this idea of the Savior. Yes. And he talks more and more about the Savior. And so I know, Drew, you have such a strong testimony of the Savior like I do. How do you feel that Isaiah testifies of Christ? Well, the wonderful thing that I, you can skip right over this part, but one of the reasons he holds so fast to Isaiah is found in chapter 11, verses 2 and 3. And this is something that I don't know if we always think about this. So let's just read in verse 2. And now I, Nephi, write more of the words of Isaiah, for my soul delighteth in his words. For I will liken his words unto my people, like you had said, mm -hmm. and I will send them forth unto all my children. For he verily saw my Redeemer, even as I have seen him. So you just think about that. Isaiah saw the Savior. Nephi saw the Savior. And he says in verse 3, And my brother Jacob also has seen him as I have seen him. So I can't imagine the burning desire you would have within yourself if you have actually seen his face and heard his voice. And you know that there's others around you, Isaiah and his brother Jacob, who have experienced the same thing, how that would excite you and, and create so much need and drive to go out and share that with other people. And I love that that's the law of three witnesses 
that by the yes. the words of witnesses, um, our Heavenly Father's law is established. And so these three are, they are personal witnesses of Jesus Christ. And that's one of the reasons why he loves to explain and share and teach about Isaiah and the things that he's trying to teach the people. Well, and I love that idea of the, the role of the Savior in these chapters, because they are central to our understanding through the spirit of prophecy. Just like they gained that personal revelation about their Savior, we too can gain a personal revelation about our Savior, Jesus Christ, as we read these beautiful words of Isaiah. And so it's interesting to look at all of these chapters and underline and look at the different roles of the Savior that Isaiah describes. So I'm just going to go through the different chapters and the different roles that he says, rather than read all these verses. But it is pretty staggering to see the different roles that Isaiah uses. First one is found in chapter 13, where he describes that the Savior is both our judge and our advocate. So as a lawyer, I understand <laughs> how difficult that would be to, to be the one that is pleading our case, but also to be the one that's the judge. The next one is in, in chapter 14. He cleanses us with water, blood, and burning. So can you think of ways that the Savior does that for us? Water, blood, and burning? Well, water and blood represent his sacrifice, right, of the atonement. And burning is when we receive the burning in our bosom of the Holy Ghost as a witness of him. Exactly. And it can also be the burning that happens if we don't bear witness. <laughs> so, I mean, there's you know a, That's true. <laughs> you know, two kinds of burning there. <laughs> yeah. um, in chapter 15, he is the husbandman who owns a vineyard. And basically he is... This It reminds me so much of Jacob 5, and I know we're going to be talking more about this beautiful parable that Isaiah gives us. But then in 2 Nephi 16, it's also that he takes away our sin. Now, this is an interesting story that happens in 16. It's Isaiah's personal experience about how when he was called as a prophet, he saw the throne of God and said, I am not worthy. And then he was purged from his sins with a fiery coal. Now, this goes back to your, you, you know, <laughs> the, 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 thought, the fire, right? <laughs> that he's purged by the fire. Mm -hmm. And I agree. I think at this point, it's the fire of the spirit mm -hmm. that purges him and makes him clean so that he can see the throne of God. Then we have in, in 17, we have the description of the condescension of God is described as a virgin shall conceive. And I think of how Nephi must have felt about that as he realized that the tree of life was a representation of the condescension of God. And then in 18, we have the fact that the Savior will be a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, and a snare to those who will not say that he is truly the Jehovah, the Christ, the Son of God. Mm -hmm. And then... And 19, for unto us a child is born. The Savior is also a gift, a gift to the world. And I just love all of these different things, different roles that the Savior is to us, but that Isaiah describes so beautifully to help us understand 
how the Savior can be in our lives. I love that. That's beautiful. Um, it's it's crazy, too, that we have all these truths about the Savior, Jesus Christ, all the roles he plays in our lives. But it's scary that Satan tries to confuse his roles, the importance of the Savior, um, with good and evil. Sometimes he'll make some things look good and some things look bad that aren't. You know what I mean? He uh, There's always an opposition in all things. And so... I think about that in our own lives. We, some people think when you are trying to follow the path of discipleship, that that's a burden and it's hard. And Satan, his counter will be, well, then eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die. You know, this would do it for you. You hear all these slogans in advertising and things in our world that look out for yourself and, you know, and all of these things that look appealing, but they actually draw us away from our Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, I think that as we go into um, 2 Nephi chapter 15, we'll learn a little bit more about this opposition and all of the things that our Savior, Jesus Christ, gives us and has done for us and how the people, the Israelites, respond and also how we respond in our day. And it's really easy to point fingers and say, they were so dumb. Why didn't they just listen? And then you think of I'm our pretty own dumb. <laughs> I know. I, I do the same thing. There are days where we're kind of stubborn too, and we don't listen, and we don't do the things that we know will bring happiness. Where we should go to look for healing. We think we can do everything on our own. So we go back and forth, don't we, between how we close we are to the Lord and following his ways and following our own ways. And this is one part of our uh, lesson today that I want us to slowly go through the very first four verses of chapter 15 to see this beautiful song or poetic parable that Isaiah has written. And if we take it one word or two words at a time, I want you to show, I want to show you that we can actually understand Isaiah. Oh, definitely. If we take it just a little bit at a time. So, um, okay, so let's start in 2 Nephi 15, 1 through 4. So I'll read a little bit, and then I'll explain what that thing is that we just read. So it starts, And then will I sing to my beloved, uh, my well-beloved, a song of my beloved, which is Christ, touching his vineyard, which is Israel. My beloved Christ hath a vineyard, Israel, in a very fruitful hill, meaning in Israel. And he fenced it, which means he protected it, and gathered out the stones thereof. He removed their stumbling blocks and gave them every chance to succeed. And he planted it with the choicest vine, the men of Judah, and built a tower, which usually means prophets, in the midst of it. And also made a wine press therein. Now, you wouldn't put a wine press in the middle of a vineyard unless you thought there would be a harvest, right? Mm -hmm. And he looked and it should bring forth grapes. And the desired product was not really grapes, but he wanted a faithful people. And it brought forth wild grapes, which means apostasy. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the note. <laughs> apostasy and wickedness. And then he says, what could have been done more to my vineyard 
that I have not done in it. So he's saying in this beautiful poetic voice that he's done everything for us. He's given us a savior. He's protected us. He's given us prophets. He's given us all these things to help us be successful. But we still have that terrible and wonderful gift of agency that we have to still choose him. And so let's go into a little bit more detail about what their biggest struggles were. What were the reasons why they didn't follow? And I think we're going to find that a big part of that will be pride in their hearts and hypocrisy. Well, and also I want to go back to this idea of Satan and what he also has a part in this. If we go to verse 20 of 15, it says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And so we have this vision of this is also what Israel has been doing in that they really don't understand where their joy or blessings come from. There's also, if we go to verse 30, he also says here, therefore my people are gone into captivity because they have no knowledge and their honorable men are famished and their multitude dried up with thirst. Now, I don't think that they're physically famished or physically thirsty, but they're spiritually famished. They're not using the word. They're not feasting on the word and they're not drinking from the well of living waters. And then because of that, if we go down to 19, we have to do this part. This is, this is the happy stuff that say, let him make speed, hasten his work that we may see it and let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw nigh and come that we may know it. And so those that are, have knowledge, those that are drinking from the well of living water, we have to help hasten the work, you know, hasten, hasten the judgment so that his vineyard can be saved. Yeah, so that's such a beautiful thought. Something else I thought of in verse 12, um, he talks about, he describes the instruments and things they used in their religious worship. And he says, and the harp and the, I'm sorry, I'm going to say these words wrong. I know that's okay. all of these different kind of instruments that they had. So the harp and the viol and the tabret and pipe and wine are in their feasts, but they regard not the Lord, neither consider the operations of his hands. So if you think about that, okay, say we were going to describe our religious worship. We could say for of our sacrament meetings, we have music, we have prayers, we have talks, we all carry temple recommends, hopefully, and pay our tithing. We do all these things, but in our free time, we cheat and we steal from work and we take advantage of our neighbors and we break the Sabbath and we do all these terrible sins. So that's what he, in reality, is telling the Israelites, that you look like you're going through the motions of worship, but yet your heart is far from me. And we have to be careful that we don't fall into those same traps of going through the motions. We show up to church. Even when we say our prayers, we say, well, I said my morning and evening prayers, but if they're rote, if they're just repetitive of what we always ask for, it's or, or it's a laundry list of things that we need, um, we're not truly living our religion and our beliefs. So we just have to be careful before we throw stones at 
the Israelites, we have to look at our own selves and see where we need to improve as well. Well, and that goes along with that initial point that you made about pride. And I, whenever I think of pride, I think of President Benson's amazing talk on pride. Classic. Oh, it is classic. <laughs> and it's something that we should all reread. But he says, when pride has a hold on our hearts, we lose our independence of the world and deliver our freedoms to the bondage of men's judgment. The world shouts louder than the whisperings of the Holy Ghost. The reasoning of men overrides the revelations of God and the proud let go of the iron rod. And so that goes right along with what you were saying is that the pride of the world makes it so that we can't hear the whisperings of the spirit. And we don't, we're, we're prideful and thus hypocrites because we don't hold on to the iron rod. Even if we still, you know, kind of do the church stuff. Yeah. Are we <laughs> really living it inside? Well, and it makes us think of the great and spacious building again. Mm -hmm. And they were full of pride and they were screaming at them and making fun of them and mocking them. And you're right. The voices are very loud. And it's interesting that our Heavenly Father has chosen to give us that gift of the Holy Ghost that's quiet and still. It's the exact opposite of what the world will try to do and how they speak to us. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Now, as we talk about the latter days, because this is also something that, you know, that Isaiah saw very well. I mean, I think he saw a video of, <laughs> you know, what's going to happen. And so it's important for us to really think about it. But I kind of went through and I looked at all the truths that are happening about our day that Isaiah saw. And in 2 Nephi 12, 1 through 5, he saw that temples will dot the earth. And we're going to talk more about that later, but I think that that's um, pretty amazing to think that Isaiah saw all these temples that we're going to be building. He also saw that many will walk in his paths. So not everybody's going to be evil. You know, there are still many people, but others will be judges and have gone their own way. And I love the fact that he also says that they will also be involved with soothsayers and Philistines. And I, I thought a little bit about how sometimes a soothsayer is someone who kind of tells you the future that you want to hear. <laughs> you know, not necessarily the future, that's the truth. Yes, that's true. And then in chapter 14, Isaiah sees that all those who are part of Zion shall be washed and live in a temple existence. I'm so excited for that. Yes, I do. I do. And, and then in 15, that... Um, we will be wise in our own eyes. There'll be much drunkenness. But then he also sees that there'll be the ensign, the standard that will be brought to all nations and that missionaries will go throughout the world. And then finally in 19, the people who have walked in darkness, they will see a great light. And I love that vision. As a matter of fact, I just, I do want to read that if we go to 19, and just read those two, two wonderful verses. He said, and the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation and increased the joy. They joy before thee according to the joy in the harvest. And as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke 
of burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor. Now, I was thinking of people who join the church. How does this describe people who have found the church? What What is your thought about that? It's a joyful, wonderful thing. And isn't it so wonderful to be able to embrace them and to bring them into the fold of God and to just share in the joy of Christ together? I, I love, I love, um, I'm a convert to the church and I know what it feels like to be among those who love the Lord as much as I do. And it's just a wonderful, it's a thrill. It's a, it's a joy. It's a true joy of this life. It's a rejoiceful feeling. And I, I do want to say, let's go back to first Nephi 12, when we go back to the temple. And as we look at the temple and the way Isaiah saw the temples, he said, and it shall come to pass in the last days, that's our days, when the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob and will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his path. So how has that happened today, this idea of the temples? The temples, like you were saying earlier, that Isaiah saw our day and that they would be all over the world. We know that the blessings of salvation come through temples and temple worship. So the Lord is doing everything he can to bring those opportunities to as many of his children as he can. And it's just so exciting, isn't it, to see every time... Uh, one of my favorite parts of General Conference is when President Nelson will stand up and announce <laughs> the new oh, temple. So people are so happy when it's in a place that's close to them. Yes, and you hear cheers and you hear crying openly of their little towns being announced that there's finally going to be a temple near them. And it's just such a beautiful thing that we on on our side need to attend the temple as much as we can. Don't take it for granted if you have one near you. Go to the temple often so that we can also offer those blessings of salvation to those who have gone before and to strengthen our own selves and our lives and to receive and be endowed by the power of God as we attend the temple. I just want to end our time today with the words of our wonderful prophet, President Nelson, who cares so much about the temples. And he always tells us to focus on temples. And he says, it is significant that the Savior chose to appear to the people at the temple. Think about Third Nephi when the Savior came, because it is his house. It is filled with his power. Let us never lose sight of what the Lord is doing for us now. He is making his temples more accessible. He is accelerating the pace at which we are building temples. He is increasing our ability to help gather Israel. He is also making it easier for each of us to become spiritually refined. I promise that increased time in the temple will bless your life in ways nothing else can. So, dear sisters, we invite you to focus on the temple, to think of ways either that you can do more family history work or go to the temple more often. We also, we love you. We think you're wonderful, and we hope to see you next time. Thanks so much for being here. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.